MyWax Museum is a proud member of the CreateFine. Hey, before we get into today's show, I just wanted to pop in and mention that MyWax Museum is part of a whole network of shows produced at Mecco Radio. The network includes shows like She Has a Name Too, Broken Bulbs, The Old Goal of Truth, and more. We've got some incredible projects happening now, starting now, and upcoming. So tune in for those. We'll be talking about those more in the future as they come out. But for now, if you want to check out the other shows, you can do so at mechoradio.com. That's it. Just mechoradio.com. Go to mechoradio.com. That's Echo with an M in front of it. M-E-C-H-O radio.com. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by my friend, Sean Mahoney. Now, rebellion is in this guy's blood. He always wanted to be a monk. So today's conversation talks a lot about faith and his faith and his love for religious plurality. It's a really interesting conversation, and I know I always say this, but I really do look forward to sharing this with you. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Sean Mahoney, welcome to MyWax Museum. Thanks, I'm uh, happy to be here. We'll see how happy I am after after the questions, but at the moment, I am happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really excited to have you on because I've been trying for months. It's been like six months. I think I met you at the beginning. Has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah, I think it has been actually. <laughs> and then this episode will actually air in April. So it's going to be like almost a year of, <laughs> of this. Um, so I'm really excited to have you here, though. Um, we've had a few. Hopefully I live up to the hype. Well, <laughs> we've had a few interesting conversations. So I always start off the episode with how we know each other. Would you mind filling in the audience as to how we met? And if you remember uh, maybe give some specifics about the story. Yeah. Okay. Um, how specific am I allowed? I don't want to dox anyone. Am I allowed to mention the school we're at? Yeah, you can mention the school we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cause I just like, you know, internet, I don't want to give out too much information. So yeah, we're both up here at BYU, Idaho. Um, I live with my, my friend, Sebastian, and you live across the hall one night at like 1130 or something. I'm just hanging out, doing my stuff back here. And I walk into the kitchen and Sebastian, you are having a conversation at the table. Mm -hmm. And then I sit down with you and I thought we were going to have a nice little short little talk like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. You know, I'm a socially awkward individual still kind of. So I was like, oh, yeah, how's it going? And then we just kind of started talking and we talked and talked and talked. And honestly, it felt like it was a really long time or it felt like a really short time but i think looking at the clock it was almost one by the time we were done it was at but it was definitely almost one i think it's at least yeah yeah and i i don't usually stay up that late it was definitely uh one of my latest nights of 2020 yeah. but it was a great conversation what can i say yeah. what can i say i make a party animal <laughs> out of everybody it's through it's lovely true. conversations about uh interfaith dialogue and you mentioned how you had been to, I think it was a Sikh temple where you were up in Canada. Yeah. 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 And, I went to the Sikh uh, temple. Yep. And how 
kind and willing they were to just help anyone regardless of religion. And uh, we just had a great talk about different faiths that we've experienced in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really cool conversation. I remember going away from that. Uh, it's, it's pretty rare for me on a first interaction with somebody to be like, oh, I should have them on my podcast. But I, I don't know if I asked you that night or if it was like later on, but I remember leaving thinking I've got to have them on the podcast because it was such an engaging and interesting conversation. Um, so with that, I kind of want to hear more about who you are and where you're from. So where were you born, Sean? I was born in the lovely town of Plymouth, Massachusetts, famous for being the site of the Pilgrim Landing in 1620. Uh, very lucky for them. They managed to leave Plymouth, England and land in Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts. So what are the odds? <laughs> yeah, what are the odds? Wow. How, how could that have happened? That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So you're born in Plymouth. Um, I know nothing about the East Coast, really. Like, I, I've never been. Can you tell me where is Plymouth, where is Massachusetts, and and what's kind of the general feel there? The general feel? Okay, so Massachusetts is in the northeast part of these United States of America. Um, we've got kind of a little bicep shape on us. That's Cape Cod. That's where I lived 95% of my life, born in Plymouth, family lived down in Cape Cod. My mom worked at the hospital where I was born, which is why I was delivered there. Um, but yeah, Plymouth is, I want to say, I feel like everything's an hour from Boston and I don't know how because Plymouth is on the way to Boston coming from my house, but it still feels like it takes as long to go from Plymouth to Boston as it does from my house to Boston. But I'm just going to say it's 50 or so miles south of Boston, which is right on the eastern uh, coast of the state. And the general feel is a lot of people that like to keep to themselves mostly. <laughs> that's, that's something I noticed because I went to Salt Lake for a while. And the first thing I noticed was people like wave at you and say hi and stuff. Whereas back home, if you're in Boston and you wave or say hi to someone, they're like, oh, what do you want? <laughs> They're not like necessarily rude or go out of their way to be evil towards people. They're just kind of like, I'm doing my thing. I'm in a rush. Can't talk. See ya. But it is better than New York because go Red Sox. <laughs> okay. So um, you're obviously proud to be from Massachusetts, I would assume. Is that accurate? I am. I am. It's an issue I need to work on. <laughs> This whole pride I don't know if thing. it's an issue. This I, whole pride. I've met a lot of people who love Massachusetts, whether they're from there or not. Um, so maybe tell, tell me why. Why is Massachusetts the best state? That's a great question. One, we came up with a chocolate chip cookie. Uh, the Toll House chocolate chip cookie was invented in Massachusetts. Um, we came up with such things as, you know, American freedom. The first shot in the revolution, the first battle was at Lexington and Concord up here. Uh, you've got beautiful beaches, cold water though. I understand why people from the West Coast are not huge fans of beaches on the East Coast unless you're in Florida. Uh, but we have cold water in the Atlantic. So it's pretty cold, but the beaches are still beautiful. Um, honestly, there are days when I try to figure out why people love Massachusetts so much. 
because I'm from Cape Cod, like I mentioned, there's only two ways on and off. We got these two bridges, and in summertime, it's nonstop traffic. Turn, yep, tourists everywhere turns your 30-minute grocery store trip into a four-hour grocery store trip from sitting in traffic. And so there are days when I try to figure out what is so great about Massachusetts, but then as soon as I leave, it's like, oh, yeah, the Patriots are the best. The Red Sox are the best. Freedom. And uh, being Irish, I've just had this line of rebellion in my blood for a long time. <laughs> my, my ancestors are from County Cork, which is a very rebellious county known for fighting off England uh, with some less than great means. But <laughs> then I born and raised in Massachusetts, where we started another revolution. Uh, so, yeah, I've just had rebellion in my blood for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which I I mean, I think people should be proud of where they're from and, and you know, the, the people that came before them, at least in some regard, maybe there are some things not to be proud of. But you, you know, you take this pride in your state. Um, growing up there, was that something that you were like taught in school? Was your education experience like very focused on like this, you know, this place that Boston and Massachusetts has in American history? Honestly, I think so, because um, being in college classes out here in, in the West, people don't know much about the Pilgrims or uh, the Boston Tea Party or all these things that kind of went into the founding of um, the American nation, the American revolution. And I think that's interesting because it is just taken for granted back home. That is what we do. We get this education on the pilgrims on Massachusetts and its role in the significance of the country. Obviously we talk about everything else too, but there's definitely an emphasis on that history of where we are, which I think happens wherever you go. I don't know how it works outside the country, but I know like in Utah, they talk a lot about the pioneers in their schools and uh, Texas talks a lot about the Alamo and the Spanish American and Mexican American and Texas revolutions. And so I think that part of that is ingrained in school, but part of it is being removed from the place and seeing just how much you kind of miss it. You know, the things you take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting to hear uh, in speaking with people from different places and different backgrounds, it's interesting to hear what they grew up being taught and how that informed their perspectives. So we've already mentioned that um, that you're big into history and you're big into um, religious discussions. Uh, that's something that we kind of started the show off with, uh, started our own friendship off with, was these interfaith conversations. So would you mind telling me if there was a point in your childhood growing up or an experience you had or just kind of a string of experiences that led you to having this, this personal uh, interest and um, discovery of these different ideas and people and history and cultures? I can definitely do that. Um, so growing up... Um, I mentioned in our pre-show questions that my parents divorced at a pretty young age, but mom was 
from a Catholic family, although she wasn't very Catholic. My grandma was super Catholic. So we would go to mass on Sundays when we were with them because grandma lived with us. And my father was a Protestant. Um, and so growing up, I already kind of had that plurality of religion and kind of trying to understand. And I always wanted to be a monk or a priest or something like that is what I remember from a, a young age. I was looking at like Catholic high schools, trying to get into them. Never did, was a public school student my whole life, but until now I'm at a private university. But um, So that was kind of where the interest in religion began. And then I started to have some doubts and questions, you know, kind of about both sides. One of the big ones was the emphasis on saints and Catholicism. I thought that was kind of interesting and the how often they go with the Lord's Prayer and the Hail Mary full of grace and all that. Because I was like, doesn't the Bible say like not to do vain repetitions and um, to keep the focus on God and Jesus and stuff. So at that point, I was kind of disillusioned a bit from the monk side of things. So I was like, okay, I'll just be like a pastor or something. But then the way that my father and his new wife and stuff were acting, I was like, well, they don't seem very Christian at the moment. I don't understand how they can do these things and still claim to be, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so I kind of started looking out outward. I looked at all sorts of things. I looked uh, different branches of Protestantism, um, Islam, Judaism, but I my main discovery in those was that they are both beautiful faiths, but I really have a firm belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and savior. But if I did not, I think Islam is one of the most beautiful religions in the world. And it's a religion of peace and um, unity much more than people give it credit for with current circumstances in the world. But I looked there, I have a, a Hindu friend whose family was like fresh off the boat from India. So they had their shrine in the closet with all the different Hindu gods. And I thought that was cool. So I kind of just had this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I had this exposure to a lot of different faiths, which I'm very grateful for. And then um, I was on the phone with a friend one night. She said, I got to go. I have church in the morning. I said, oh, cool. Where do you go? She said, I'm a Mormon, but don't worry. I only have one mom. <laughs> and at that point, one of the religions I hadn't heard of were Mormons or polygamy. I didn't know about their polygamous background, which is no longer a thing, but used to be. So a lot of jokes get made. So that joke just went right over my head. And I was like, okay, cool. Can I come? <laughs> and she was taken aback. She was like, uh, uh, Sure. Because she didn't even like going to church, let alone this random dude that <laughs> she knows from high school. Like, why would he want to come to church? I don't like church. Church is boring. So I went, sat through three hours um, and just had this feeling and it just felt good. Um, and so I ended up being baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And my heart sank when I found out they don't have paid clergy or any clergy. So I was like, well, what am I going to do with my life now? And I was at this thing called a youth conference and this guy got up and he spoke and he was a former Navy man, 
Um, then he was a member of the 70, which is like some big higher ups in our church there. We call them general authorities. Their whole job and goal in life is to help spread the church and to, um, you know, take care of administrative and all sorts of different things within the church. And he talked about how he had to make that choice and how his higher ups in the Navy were like, why would you leave the Navy? Like you're doing so well, you're so high ranked. Like, why would you go and do this? And somehow the word chaplain never came up in that whole talk, but the word chaplain came up to me. I was like, I could be a chaplain. I could be a religious leader as a career serving God and in the military. And I don't know how it came to my mind. Cause like I said, looking back, he never mentioned the word. Everyone's like, how did you get that out of that? And I feel like that was just one of those moments in life where God just like points you in a direction. He says, go that way. And that's where I, that's where I'm at. Cause as a chaplain, also you need to have that religious plurality because you're serving all denominations. You are of course, called primarily to serve service members of your own faith but there are times when there may not be service members of uh there may not be chaplains of other faiths available so having an understanding um of their beliefs of their doctrine was very useful to me and i just fell in love with the study of all different faiths that is really cool yeah i never i never quite thought about it as being so important to have that appreciation for the plurality of beliefs because i i thought well you'll be serving mormons right you'll be serving the the people who believe the same things as you but i i guess a lot of the time you're going to end up being there to help fulfill the needs the spiritual needs of other men and women in in whichever um military military organization you're part of <laughs> Hey guys, Alex here, just popping in in the middle of this conversation to say, wow, I adore Sean. He is an open, loving guy, just with a huge heart. And I just <laughs> I just wanted to say that I am here for an ad read too, of course, which is that we at Mecco Radio have other shows in production and more shows on the way. We're always working hard to tell great stories and make interesting content to share with great folks like you. So if you would like to check out our other shows, you can do so by going to mechoradio.com or you can even just type in Mecco Radio in your podcatcher and it should come up with all the work that we're doing right now. It's fantastic. Super cool, super easy. Thanks for listening. Love you guys and enjoy the rest of this conversation. Right now, you're at university here at BYU-Idaho. Where, what are you doing now? What are you studying now? And then what do things look like for you in the future? Yeah, so BYU-Idaho. Oh, how I love and dislike thee at the same time. <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's interesting because everyone knows, well, not everyone, but most college, people that know about college know BYU because they have a football team. They've got the sports teams and they know that, oh, that's the Mormon University. But I'd say BYU-Idaho is even more of the Mormon University, more strict with their uh, rules and regulations and such. 
yet for some reason we don't offer a religious studies undergraduate degree here at BYU-Idaho. So I am studying history and trying to focus as much of my studies on religious history as I can. And following this, um, I will go to BYU in Provo to get my, they call it master's in chaplaincy. Because normally, not normally, you are required to have a master's at least in theology or a similar field to become a chaplain in the military. Um, but BYU realized that if we're going to have LDS chaplains, we should probably teach them our own theology so that they can better serve those that are, that are in the field. Because, you know, before we would be going to Harvard or other Baptist or Protestant theology schools to be getting our masters and we wouldn't have a firm foundation in LDS theology. So they came up with a program called the Masters in Chaplaincy for LDS chaplain candidates. So that's where I will be going following my bachelor's degree if I ever get it here as I've been slacking off a little bit lately. So, I mean, that's a that's a long road though. That's that's quite the process. And and then to go and and be in service this way. I think that's awesome right? Because you're not just there, like, it's a service to your countrymen, it's a service to your brothers and sisters in your faith, right? It's this whole culmination of service, really. Is there, is there a reason that you feel the need to do that? You know, hearing the word service so much, the first talk I ever gave in church was on service. <laughs> really? <laughs> so maybe that kind of, again, you know, the way that God kind of works through minor ways in our life for big goals. Um, maybe that's what it was, because we have this scripture in the Book of Mormon called Mosiah. Uh, well, there's a book called Mosiah within the Book of Mormon. And there's a scripture in ver uh, chapter 2, verse 17. And it's this king talking to his people. And he's trying, the king's dying. He knows he's dying. He's like, what can I teach my people to help them be the best that they can be and to ensure that, you know, this kingdom lives and that they stay righteous and doing what they're supposed to. So he says, I tell you these things that you may learn wisdom, that ye may know that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, you're only in the service of your God. And that verse has kind of driven me and all that I do. As I said, more so when I first joined the church, I kind of fell away from it a little bit, not the church, but the conviction and vigor I had towards it, which I'm trying to gain back. Um, but that's kind of what drives me is to serve other people because that's serving God and to realize that other people have it so much worse and are in so much more need than I am. So how can I just stand on the sideline? And that's what drives me when I'm lazy in school. I think, well, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for those service members who I'm going to be serving, who are going to need that chaplain. And if I'm not there, you know, maybe someone else will be, they probably will be, let's be honest, but can I fully live with myself knowing that I could have done more to get where I needed to be to help those that need it? With this look at service in your life, it's apparent to me that it's important. It's something that you think a lot about uh, in our conversation beforehand or in, in those 
uh, pre-interview questions that I always do. You you mentioned, you know, how something that you miss about your past self is that you you feel less conviction or you you feel maybe maybe less energetic about your beliefs and about your faith than you used to when you were first converted. So projecting out into the future, what do you see your life path doing in order to perhaps restore some of that vigor and maybe carry you forward in this in this ideal of service towards, like you said, like you quoted, um, your your fellow beings. I think a big part of it is I need to get on my knees and pray more. <laughs> That's step one. I think that goes a long way for a lot of people. Um, and I think it's often overlooked. And then along with that is, again, remembering why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because it's easy when you're thinking of yourself or when I'm thinking of myself to be like, oh, what's this one paper going to change? Like, it's just, it's just my grade. But when I'm able to remember the magnitude of these things, um, it helps to push me forward. And I think I need to remind myself of that more. Remind myself of the why. Because when you have a why, you're able to accomplish great things. And then something else I've realized <laughs> through my time at university. I started... Um, at the University of Massachusetts. And I was studying astrophysics at the time. So at this point, you can see I kind of gotten far away from my original goal, my original plan. And I did about two years of that. And finally, it just hit me like, what are you doing? Like my life was, I don't want to say miserable, but it was definitely not in an optimal place. I was definitely feeling more stress, anxiety, depression, uh, than I had previously in my life. And I realized, well, Sean, you're not supposed to be doing this. You know where you're supposed to be, like what you're supposed to be doing. And I swore I'd never come to BYU-Idaho or BYU-Provo because I served my mission in Utah and I thought all these Utah and Idaho people were very pretentious. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to become one of them. I don't want to become one of them. Um, but, you know, I prayed and I was like, Sean, you got to go to you got to go to a BYU if you want to do what you're supposed to do. And that was the first moment where I realized there's two ways to live life. And you can either live your life within the will of God or outside of it. And when I had this first experience, I realized that every time I felt the most joy in my life, every time that I was arguably successful in life, depending on how you define success, um, was when I was trying to listen to Heavenly Father and do what I was, do what he wanted me to do. And every time where I felt this anxiety, this stress, this depression, these lows, was when I was living for myself and doing the things that I thought I wanted to do. And so for me, the huge thing in correcting my course and living my life is trying to live inside the will of God. And I'm not going to say that I've been perfect since that moment because I found it happening last semester too. And I was like, Sean, remember what you learned, 
remember those feelings and push through and move forward knowing what you're supposed to do. And so I think that um, having that idea and that view, knowing what your Heavenly Father wants for you is the way that you'll find the most success and happiness in life. And obviously it's a lot easier said than done. Not everyone's going to get hit on the head with, hey, be a chaplain. But as we earnestly try to figure out what Heavenly Father wants for us, we can know that it's the best path and that it will bring us the most happiness because his goal for us is happiness, joy, and returning to him. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, I, th I think you have an awesome future to look forward to, you know, however this path of service and chaplaincy and um, wherever, wherever it takes you. I, I look forward to seeing how that goes and, and seeing all the lives that, that you touch along the way. So last question for you. This is a question I ask all of my guests on the show. I like to ask at the end of your life, you know, hopefully you've made it to century. That'd be ideal, right? Uh, maybe longer. Yeah, it depends on how I'm <laughs> feeling at 95. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so whenever it is, whenever you're looking back on everything you've experienced, everything that you will yet experience in this life, when you're looking back at it, what do you hope or maybe expect are the things that you will be most proud of and most satisfied with? I'm hoping that it'll be the impact I've made on the lives of others. I'm hoping that, again, this may sound cheesy or cliche, but when I look back, I don't care if people remember me specifically. I don't care if they remember Sean Mahoney or that Irish guy over there. I want them to remember the way that I was able to make them feel or more accurately how Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost were able to make them feel through me. Because at the end of the day, everyone comes, everyone goes. Um, but God and Jesus and, the, and them are eternal. And I want them to be the ones that are remembered through me, if that makes sense. So I hope that I'll find success in helping people come closer to God in whatever form that may be and helping them through some of their hardest moments. That's the legacy I want to leave. You know, I, I know for myself, I've known you for probably about nine-ish months. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be about a year. And I know I've appreciated your friendship and our uh, conversations every now and then and our interactions um, that even though things have been pretty locked down as long as we've known each other. Since we live across the hall, uh, we've gotten to have more interaction than I get with most people. And I've appreciated it. And I just want to say uh, one last time, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to, to be a part of this. And thank you for listening. Not just to this show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more to the people around you, the people in your life that you just happen to know. Take some time, just five minutes, to listen intently 
to the people around you. Mecco, 